little word of warning that this podcast contains swears and use of explicit sexual language. Therefore, it is not suitable for anyone under 18 or anyone who thinks a squirter is any kind of Pokemon. I'm ahead of the game. Welcome to Smut Drop, a weekly roundup of the more eccentric side to sex and relationships from metro.co.uk. I'm Miranda Kane, and on this week's show, we are going to be discussing the top sex myths of men and women, learning how to bust them with Sophia Smith Gaylor, and hearing what you said when we asked our fabulous listeners, that's you, for your tales of bad sex education that you believed in for far too long. So if you like what you hear, then please rate, review, subscribe, go and do it now, wherever you got this podcast from. And I really hope you're ready for this because I'm about as ready as a backbencher with a Pornhub subscription. On this week's show, we're going to be tackling some of the myths around sex that people are still holding on to. Now, according to a questionnaire sent out by illicitencounters.com, some of the top sex myths, sex myths, sounds a bit like a blacksmith, but dirtier. (laughs) So according to them, some of the myths that we're still holding on to are that he likes sex more than me, even though there is nothing to back that up. Women think that size really matters, definitely not true, and that the G-spot exists and I know how to stimulate it. Now, I'm not sure about you guys, but I'm still not sure at the grand age of 40 that I figured out where my G-spot is. But some of the men, they think that they should prefer sport more than sex. Oh, come on, guys, come on. Or that if they have sex the night before, then they're going to play badly at sport the next day. I'm going to blame little golden balls for that one. But one of the things that they both believe in is that sex always has to end in an orgasm or it has to include penetration. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up with a lot of different sex myths, urban legends at school. And I am going to be chatting with our fabulous co-host, Jackie Adedeje, with our guest, Sophia smith Unfortunately, Jackie can't be with me this week, but she was here to interview our guest and I will be back afterwards to chat you through our fantastic listener stories, myths, legends and everything you grow up with from bad, bad sex education. Ladies and gentlemen, gays and theys, this week's guest is a multi-award winning reporter, author, TikTok creator, and her videos have been seen over 75 million times. Her new book, Losing It, is a myth-busting call to arms that exposes misinformation and champions inclusive and equitable sex, my favourite kind. It's Sophia Smith-Gaylor! Hi! Hello! Sophia, I've just got, okay, I've got a question for you. So can I just start with your CV? Yeah. It says, you've reported on the complexities of contemporary faith for the BBC World Service. You're a senior news reporter at Vice World. You've won a British Journalism Award, amongst others. And now you've got a book out. So my first question is, when do you have a day off? (laughs) (laughs) What? They exist? I have no idea. Um, I promise I do have breaks. I just you know, scheduled them quite carefully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, you've got to relax to write a book about sex, haven't you? Arguably, yes. What inspired you to start writing Losing It? It came from two things, really. I think a lot of us who analyse and talk about sex in the media do it from a double-sided perspective. Mm-hmm. 
One is that we're probably, possibly informed by some level of personal experience, be it our own, be it what we've heard from friends and family. And the second is that we're in a position where we interview people a lot, where we analyze trends and we discover stories. And it was this mixture of the two in which I was just horrified at what is staring us in the face, which is an immense amount of misinformation around sex that is not tackled either in the sex education we're able to access at school, nor is it often mentioned or debunked in society more widely. And as a result, what I do in the book is expose some of the devastating effects that this misinformation can lead to and how it doesn't have to be there. You know, we all deserve access to equitable sex. We all deserve access to equality and rights in which we are not judged mm-hmm. by our sexual identities. And that's that's how it began, mm. um, a mixture of those two things. And then it was from the idea that, okay, if I do all this research into what kind of recent research in sexual behavioral science is saying, and what if I interview a bunch of gynecologists and sex therapists, et cetera, about what they see as the most pressing concerns Mm. and interview people who either do or don't have sex and ask them why and why not. And it was just like story after story just started unfolding about, oh my goodness, this, this shouldn't have happened to you or you were failed by a system far beyond your power. What kind of things were coming up? So the first myth is kind of, you know, when we talk about, villain origin stories Mm. kind of thing. I really found in my research that the virginity myth, Mm. so one of the first myths we encounter as a young person about to have our first sexual experiences and the way that first experience is defined Mm. by others, the fact that it still has the phraseology of virginity is kind of nuts when Mm. you think about how the, the patriarchal history that word carries and why there isn't a kind of new way of talking about it, even why people choose to identify as virgins or non-virgins in the first place, and that there is still this status conferred onto people, whether they have or haven't had sex. Mm. When you think about it, it's 2022. We not only still think that, but it still impacts how young people see the beginning of their sexual lives. And that is so not what the researchers in sex science, as it were, judge or define sexual initiation as they call it or sort of how people enter their sexual maturity actually what we should hold up as the gold standard of how we enter our sexual journeys Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with this idea of one minute you're this and one minute you're that and you are different whether in your culture it's looked as positive or negative once you've had sex for the first time actually behavioral scientists will, will say in order to be sexually competent, as it were, when you're a young person has nothing to do with this idea of, are you a virgin? Are you not a virgin? Mm. It's to do with lots of lots of other criteria that suggest what positive sexual health is. I think virginity is something that's quite interesting is because I remember growing up and it's like people talking about being deflowered or getting their mm. cherry popped and things like that. And, you know, it's when your hymen breaks. And actually there is no real way to tell whether someone's a virgin or not, is there? No. And that's the second chapter because it begins with, that's what I mean. Like the virginity myth starts introducing bad ideas. Um, And it's misinformation that leads on to further misinformation. So if you believe in the virginity myth, of course you are far more likely to endorse the idea that your physiology somehow changes dependent Mm. on your sexual activity. Mm. And this perniciously 
harms people with vaginas and vulvas, right? Because you do not tend to have a lot of negative associations with people with penises and the amount of sexual activity they've had. But I can remember at school a girl being called a bucket, for example, or a bike, wasn't it? It was, yeah, all sorts. But a guy never has it. Yeah. Speaking of your school days, I do just want to bring up this little quote that I found. Sophia was told at school, every time you have sex, you will lose your special glue. When you've lost all your special glue, no husband will ever love you. What the fuck is special glue? And why is it given to women and not men? Because we had a chat with someone a couple of weeks ago and what she was talking about was under a couple of men's dicks is... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If anything, they're the ones with the fucking glue. What school were you going to that was talking about special glue? This is actually what's horrifying about this anecdote. Mm. I was not at a particularly religious school. Right. I was at a school that would boast about high performing it is. Very privileged school. It was very proud of how many A stars and whatnot it would get, how many top unis it would get us into and top careers we've accessed. Yeah. All of that ambition that that school had for us dissolved in front of this woman who was an external speaker. And if you are listening to this and you are a parent or even a teacher, and you have external speakers coming into the schools of of young people that you're connected to, it's probably pretty prudent to see what kind of speakers they are inviting in. Because someone like that, in my view, should never have been allowed to tell me, an impressionable young woman, that. And I remember it. Yeah, That tells you the impact it had on me. And I was intelligent. I was bright enough to think, hmm... This sounds a bit sus, but did it still leave the idea on me that I, I would be judged for being sexually promiscuous? Yeah. Yes. It, you know, it left a mark. It really left a mark on me. Yeah. And there's one gynecologist that I interviewed in the book and in other journalism I've done. And she said to me, you know, some people, you tell them kind of sex negative messaging like this. And it's water off a duck's back. They kind of they might be exposed to other messaging that emboldens them and protects them from it Mm. and other people are like sponges and they take in everything and I was a I was a major major sponge and just to end on that anecdote special glue in all the interviews I did in my book and and the the after effects of this messaging will leave you in far stickier situations than (laughs) what that lady told me yeah Yeah. Uh, and this feels like a trick question but how are you supposed to feel when it comes to sex because I suppose everybody's first time is is different and then moving forward when you continue to have sex. How do you know that it's right, you know? How do you know that you're ready? That is obviously something like really nuanced, complicated yes. and subjective. Yes. We're really lucky in Britain to have this massive, like nationally representative survey of sexual attitudes and lifestyles that gets done every couple of years. Mm. And there was data that was drawn out of this enormous survey about young people and sexual competence, this jargon that scientists use. All it means is ready, Mm. but it's their definition of a positive sexual health outlook of what it means for a young person to be truly ready the first time that they have sex. Mm. And the criteria they used had just never been presented to me, not only as a young person, as a 27 year old, you know, still having sex. And it was, Um, sexual competence the first time you have sex is judged to be uh, judged to include contraceptive use Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. autonomy in decision making Mm -hmm. i.e. 
no pressures from either your partners or from society. Both partners being equally willing. And finally, a sense that it is happening at the perceived right time. And the survey found that over half of young women were not sexually competent the first time they had sex. And over a third of young men were not competent the first time. It found that 40% of young women and 26% of young men do not think that sex happened at the right time, the first sex. And one in five women, young women, were not as equally willing as their partners the first time that they had sex. Wow. That's the idea that we all need to uphold and enshrine Mm -hmm. because it's pressure that I'm 18 and I'm still a virgin. Mm. You're not ready. If you're thinking like that, you're not ready to have sex for the first time Mm. because that is not autonomy of decision-making. You are feeling societal pressure Mm. and it's really unfair because it's not your fault. That is the world you have been socialized into is making you feel bad for being a virgin at whatever age you may deem being like an older virgin is. That is why the systems in place, like educational systems, need to work to destigmatize ideas like that and instead replace them with ideas about what it does mean to be ready. You need to, you need to galvanize people against the misinformation and myths that they're going to hear. You mentioned earlier even about like the hymen and uh, virginity. My sex education program never addressed it. I don't think I ever heard a teacher say the word hymen, but my school still failed me because I heard other people say it. I heard my mate say it who said that she wasn't allowed to use a tampon because her mum wouldn't let her because it would break her hymen and take away her virginity. And even though I didn't come from a cultural background that was telling me that, I believed it because I trust my friend and I trust my friend's mum. My my friend's mum's a grown up. And if you don't have a school system sort of being quite savvy about there are some nuts things floating around, we need to debunk them. Mm. We need to tell young people that this isn't the case. Yeah. If that doesn't happen, you're going to grow up and you may then have children and tell them the same thing. Were there any myths that were busted for you? Was there anything that when you went into writing this, you, you believed and then got totally changed by? I think in order to write this book, I obviously had debunked a few for myself, mm. if that makes sense. Because I talk about it in the book, but I had, I had a very negative entrance into sexual maturity, as it were. And it left me developing um, a sexual pain disorder, oh. which I really struggled to find support and a cure for. I did, I'm fine now. But for me, that was something that was really important to talk about in the book. The thing that I came out of the book not expecting or changed my mind personally so much about was actually the sexlessness chapter. Some of the things I talk about in that chapter is basically empathy, more kindness, more respect, more research sort of generally needs to be done about people who make the active decision to not have sex, um, something for which they are often teased for. Yeah, uh, it's so misunderstood, isn't it? It's yeah. just like, oh, well, you you must be sexless. You must be just frigid or something. Yeah. And that often comes from people who think they're sex positive individuals. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they're not. But then someone comes up to them and says, oh, I'm celibate. Yeah. And they're like, what? Oh, that's weird. Yeah. Why don't you want to do it? I've been on all the dating apps recently and I can tell you I am celibate. <laughs> because of them. Yeah. Fuck me. It is a swamp out there. But I, I really wish 
I think there are periods in my life where I always sought out a sense of being partnered, mm. whatever that meant. And I wish I'd had more messaging that focused on me and being self-partnered as it were. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. everything from self-touch to just like being happy in your identity. Yes. Yeah. Um, and part of that is that I think English is a rubbish language for the vocabulary that we have on it. It's either celibate for me. It does have religious connotations because that's where it comes from. And I just, and single has You're been- single in a relationship yeah. or like- Yeah, there's, or, there's or like- complicated. Yeah, someone needs to make a new and, word yeah. that I prefer. But um, in that chapter, I also look at how misunderstood the asexual community and people sort of who identify on the ace spectrum are- mm. Like aces have such a fluid vocabulary for lots of different identities on the spectrum of mm. asexuality. And when I learned about all of that and discovered I'm allosexual, and if you experience sexual desire or attraction, you are also allosexual. Allosexual? Yeah. Allosexual. Reynolds. Allosexual. You coming in? But I, a bit like lots of us would not have learned we are cisgendered until we were educated about the trans community mm-hmm. and educated about the privilege we hold mm-hmm. as yeah. cisgender people. It's exactly the same thing. Lots of us have no idea we're allosexual because we've never, we assume our experience what is, is that? Sorry, the norm is... and the only thing. The allo, to be allosexual means that we experience sexual desire or attraction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asexuals do not. Oh, okay. Oh. Some some do to a certain capacity. Some. Yeah. What's the one where you're attracted to someone's mind or something? This this. Oh. I always see it pop up and stuff. Yeah. It's something. I can't remember what it's called. Basically, I mean, this might... is why we're very unattractive to them, isn't it? Because yeah. we can't think of the words. <laughs> <laughs> we failed at the first hurdle. <laughs> uh, I'm attracted to minds, though. Are you? Uh, yeah. Someone might not be that good looking, but like the way that like they think or the way they see the world kind of makes them more attractive. Every week I learn something more and more about your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 but you not have that? No. Or are you like, you're a mantub, goodbye? Yeah. <laughs> I quite like them weak-willed and vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> On the floor, mate. <laughs> I don't need to know what your mind is like if your head's between my legs. Oh. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Here we go. Thank you, producer Georgia. So, <laughs> sapiosexual, that's what it is. Oh. When you're attracted to intelligence. Oh. That's me. And then there's objectum sexual sexual. What was the object one? It's like when people are like in love with their I cars. I love that. When the ladies in love in front of the Eiffel Tower, in love with the Eiffel Tower and everything. I'm just like, <laughs> you go. You you fall in love with a roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I think trees can be sexy. Oh. Do you know what I mean? What's your sexiest tree? Like an oak tree. Oak tree. <laughs> Did you know that oak trees were used in the medieval period as dildos because oak is a natural antiseptic? No. You see, it's got a historic context. <laughs> I was yeah. waiting for you to say oak to pop out that fact. <laughs> it's the only one I know. So. You have done all the research of this book, haven't you? That is... Do you know what? This is so interesting. Like mm. this, All of it is just so interesting. Like I can't wait to read the book because mm. I definitely have my own myths around sex that actually definitely need debunking. What's been the weirdest one that you've discovered have there been any ones where someone's said a story and you've just been like no ah this is another thing what i've learned or rather i i kind of knew there was more to it than i'd been taught about but obviously this book gave me the chance to educate myself 
the sort of sheer size of the clitoris in terms of where it is and the extent to it. So obviously it's not the visible bit only as it were, it's a whole structure yeah. inside of us. One of the weirdest bits was when I interview in the book, a hymen repair surgeon. Ooh. Interestingly, since I wrote the book, I was a contributor like the government consultation about banning hymen repair here in the oh, UK nice. for the work I did. So it was a very weird experience for me interviewing this person who many people would describe as committing human rights violations in the work that he does. Yeah. Other people, there are people who do argue that in providing the surgery he provides, he could be saving that woman's life, saving her from possible abuse she may experience right. from a partner or family member. So this is what I mean. It's thorny. It's a complicated issue in the UK. Looks like they're going to outright ban it. But when I interviewed him, and as well when I look online at some of the procedures that people who offer hymen repair, the other things they offer, you know, he suggested the idea that presenting like a whole virginity package surgery thing for, for, for women who wish to re-virginize themselves obviously as I've already explained that is has no scientific basis but one of the things was vaginal oh gosh I hope I haven't got this wrong labial hypertrophy I believe was the terminology he used what is that and I brought what he told me to a gynecologist I trust afterwards to get her her take and what he told me he tells women that the more sex you have you know your vulva will will grow. Oh, oh my no. god! Oh yeah, like and, it's made of memory foam and not elastic. And so yeah. that's that's why kind of um, labiaplasty or some iteration of would be part of the part of the package. What that I, if you so chose? Yeah, you could add on to your hymen repair the, these other procedures. And I just thought <sighs> people are going to trust you because you're a doctor. Yeah, yeah, it's. It reminds me of, because I was actually reading about this, in Georgia, they have a tradition called, I think it's called Yenge or something. Where, oh, yeah. Where the groom shows us, you know, a bloodstained sheet. Oh, yeah. I suppose if that person had actually previously had sex, then they could go to this doctor, right? Yeah, and think, there's a lot of data in my right. book from research that has been conducted in the Middle East and North Africa. Right. Where researchers have found that the fear of being judged by your marital partner, if you do not bleed because there is this yeah. cultural notion of the, the blood on the bedsheet test. Fear of divorce or fear that something, you know, might happen yeah. to you because of it. Yeah. And obviously there are, there are plenty of people who may belong to, to families where this tradition is long, long dead. Um, and for other people, it is very sadly persistent. A virginity package. So what was the hyper... The vagina hyper... It was labial hypertrophy. There's all sorts, isn't there? There's stuff like hymen repair tight vaginal tightening yeah. or stuff that's a whole yeah a whole chapter of my book is on the tightness myth oh my um, and God. about the absolutely balmy things you find online yeah telling women women this will improve your sexual function vaginal lasering is one of these things that has since been sort of debunked the other thing generally is that when we talk about vaginal tightness i mean i think we're taught the word tight i'm speaking here as a heterosexual woman i was taught that vaginas are tight by men Mm -hmm. mm. Uh, it's, it wasn't something 
Oh yeah, because our vaginas have to be tight and their dicks don't have to be big. Right. That's that's yeah. the thing. We're too loose if they can't feel that's it. That's right. Isn't it? It's like, it's oh my God. It's all about the fragility of the male ego, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's like waving a stick in the air, but well, fuck off. <laughs> You're the one with a stick, mate. <laughs> <laughs> if a partner says that to you or talks a lot about it, they are suggesting that they have very little knowledge or awareness around the pelvic floor. Yeah. Um, to have a tight pelvic floor is very bad, is what I used to have. You know, to have a hypertonic pelvic floor can lead to uh, numerous health issues. The fact that this has become a word associated with positive sexual function in women is, is bum. Like, it's crazy that that's happened. Also completely unsurprising because I never heard about pelvic floor or pelvic floor therapy until I was... Too late for me, basically. So where can people find more information? Where can they find you, Sophia? I'm everywhere. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I try to be. I always say that, you know, depending on what you want out of me will impact where you want to follow me. If you want to hear me talk about the journalism and kind of journalism innovation I do from that perspective, I tweet that. If you want access to like fun things in my personal life and achievements I'm proud of, go to my Instagram because it's like my, you know, hyperstheticized LinkedIn. And if you want to go see me babble on about everything from sex ed to languages to my reporting, TikTok. Lovely. And the book is available at all reputable bookshops, I believe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Published author, baby. <laughs> that is Losing It, Sex Education for the 21st Century. Wasn't that fascinating? Oh, my. Honestly, I wish I had a notepad to jot down all the notes. Well, I mean, the good thing is, is you can actually buy the book. Yes, I can. And have the notes yourself. <laughs> Nicely good, typed out. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> I did think of that. <laughs> I really enjoyed Sophia. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, sex and, you know, debunking myths is something that like, you know, we all need to do, right? And debunk yeah. these myths around sex that we've learned, these toxic ideas. And I think it's a really important book for so many of us yeah. to just learn. Because I think in order to be empowered about our health and our wellness is, you know, we need to read, we need to learn, we need to educate ourselves. And I think that's, this is almost like the, you know, the millennial Bible yeah, for, for, for sex positive People. Yeah, I really liked the the first the the things she was saying from the survey where it's like the five things you need to be ready for, mm. for sex. And yeah. it's like I totally agree with all of them. Yeah. And like, yes, they're very nuanced, but it's it's also like it's good to have all of them there and to be prepared and to know that totally. you're ready to go. And it's not just about, oh, well, they want me to have sex with them, so oh, I'll just have sex with them. Yeah, the key word being ready. And I think what, you know, was really, really powerful was her talking about, yeah, exactly what you said about, you know, doing things because you feel ready to as opposed to societal pressure. Yeah. And having to, you know, really understand like what is you and what is other people's projections or ideas of you. You know, just, I love hearing about sex in a very theoretical way. Yeah. I, I just find it so fascinating because, yeah, sex is, the, you know, it's also not just practical, it's also theory. That's because you love people for their minds, Jackie. This is true. I'm a sapiosexual, honey. Sapiosexual. I remember the word now. I'm quite proud of myself. <laughs> I'm a sapiosexual. And also... Talking about the hymen and the popping of the cherries and the deflowering and yeah. the, you know, the bucket. And, you know, the fact that it's all just made up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Taking someone's virginity. Mm. But this is, these ideas have plagued us, you know, up until we lost our virginities, you know. And even talking about people who are celibate 
Yeah. And, you know, they're part of the sex conversation as well, even if they're not having it. Trees are part of the sex conversation. Yes, they are. Oak Honestly, tree. when you walk home <laughs> and you see an oak tree, just stare at it. It's quite sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Look at an oak tree and get back to me, Mary. Text me and then you'll be like, Jackie, I know what you mean now. <laughs> Uh, oh, she's a sexy. Watch out for our Twitter feed when that one happens, <laughs> folks. That's that's going to be coming right at you at Smart Drop. But, but Mary, do you not have like like something that you like, like a car that you fancy, or like a like some kind of object? Only <laughs> only my rampant rabbit, babe. <laughs> Just me. But for all the people that are like me, I see you, I hear you, you're heard, and you're seen. God bless. God us, bless everyone. Yeah. Last week, we asked you to send in your stories about the myths you believed, and I've picked up some of my favourites from your emails, and we've raked through the comments on social media. If you want to add to the discussion, then come and follow me. It's Miranda Kane on Instagram, M-I-R-I-K-A-N-E, or you can find Smut Drop on Twitter or anywhere. Anywhere. We're everywhere. We're disgusting like that. Uh, now, from our emails, I picked out a couple. Adele, and she says she absolutely believed that when having sex, the balls should go in as well. And I thought that was, I thought that was why I wasn't orgasming. <laughs> oh, Adele. Oh, mate. If you've got room, go for it. Not a problem. Uh, Raquel, she says, me and my mates always thought that eating out a girl literally meant eating something out of her vagina. We used to have deep conversations about what should or should not be used. <gasps> I'm trying to think what I would want to be put up there and what I wouldn't want. But Raquel has said that the first time a boy said he wanted to try it, I told him, okay, but no tuna or ice cream. That sounds pretty sensible. <laughs> And one of the comments here on Instagram just says squirting dot, dot, dot. What the fuck? <laughs> I could do a whole episode on the myths around squirting. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, some of my favourites that we used to have back in my day at school. So the amount of people who were rumoured to have used crisp packets and sellotape as condoms was completely rife. But my school was scum. So maybe that wasn't a rumour. So we <laughs> want to hear more. We've got voice notes. We've got our first ever voice notes. Okay, so if you want to send a voice note, just like this brave warrior has done, you can send it to my Instagram. Drop me a DM. They're actually open. Please don't send anything nasty. Hi, honeys. So I don't really have a story, but following a recent request from a possible suitor, I was wondering, have you ever had any weird food sex? Okay, thanks. Bye. Oh, oh, listener, that is a good question. Have I ever used food? Um, no, no, I haven't. But I have been asked if I could feed someone up once. And we went for a whole session where where I wasn't even the feeder. It wasn't me. I didn't get to eat. And he came round with a load of cream cakes and I didn't get to eat any of them. I had to force feed them into him. How rude. And I had to weigh him up and measure him up. And it was like feeding a pig. It was absolutely brilliant. And then he left all his Krispy creams, and I got to eat them over a lovely cup of tea later in the evening. Ladies and gentlemen, I really quite like, uh, I like that. I like talking about myself. So next week we'll do that, shall we? Let's do an ask me anything. You're allowed to 
send me your voice notes or your emails, you can send them to smutdrop at metro.co.uk if you're old fashioned and you still love an email. And if you want to hear the ones that we get, please remember to subscribe right now. I've been Miranda Kane and this has been Smutdrop, which was produced by Pineapple Audio Production for metro.co.uk. I am, as ever, desperate for your validation. So please, for the love that is all that's holy, leave me a review. In the meantime, I'm going to be back to prick up your ears next week.